2: bad dad rad dad but we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie and I'm Elliot and we're going to talk about the movies we watch this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always dad is an energy not a gender.
0: Welcome to episode 80. Huge milestone for us. Super awesome. Uh, A couple things just to mention off the top. If you haven't already definitely check out the daddy deep dive episode we just released earlier this week. Uh, We talked with our buddies Jake and Danielle about face off. And super fun conversation and super funny if I do say so myself. So make sure you watch Face Off and then check out our Daddy Deep Dive episode. And second, something we've started doing to help you, fair listener, is we've added timestamps in our descriptions of each of the conversations we have about the movies we watch. So if you want to skip a certain movie because you don't want to have any, any context for it whatsoever or you're really excited about a specific conversation you can go and scrub right to the timestamp that we list and listen to us talk about something that you're excited about. Okay, getting into the movies we watched this week. We watched five smackeroonies, and let's get into it. So it started off with a mystery movie pick. It came from me, and I wanted to revisit the 2006 drama fantasy mystery movie, Lady in the Water. It was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, and it stars Paul Giamatti as Cleveland, Bryce Dallas Howard as Story, Jeffrey Wright as Mr. Dury, Bob Balaban as Harry, Sarita Chowdhury as Anna, M. Night Shyamalan as Vic, and Freddie Rodriguez as Reggie. Synopsis, apartment building superintendent Cleveland Heap rescues what he thinks is a young woman from the pool he maintains. When he discovers that she is actually a character from a bedtime story who's trying to make the journey back to her home, he works with his, his tenants to protect his new friend from the creatures that are determined to keep her in our world. All right. This movie is pretty special to us. So let's get into it. What do you think of Lady in the Water?
2: I feel like most cinephiles would be surprised to hear that Lady in the Water is a film that is special to us Mm -hmm. as people who like movies. Mm -hmm. Because people love to hate Lady in the Water.
0: Yeah. Big time. So much so you and I have separate but very similar first time viewing experiences. With seeing people that were pretty pee-pee-poo-poo about it.
2: Yeah, it'd be worth talking a little bit about the first time we saw this. Because, not to bury the lead, we both really like this movie. And people don't really like this movie. No. This came out when we were 16?
0: 2006, yeah.
2: Came out summer 2016, so we were 16. In between our grade 10 and 11 years. I really liked everything I had seen by M. Night Shyamalan, including The Village, mm-hmm. um, which I think was kind of the start of people being divided on him, but I think some people still liked The Village and, you know, said it was the, a marketing problem, not a film problem, but then this was kind of Lady in the Modern was the one that people universally hated. Mm-hmm. For the most part. So I was working at Indigo at the time, which is a the biggest um, book chain in Canada for those who aren't familiar um, I had had a chance to like look at and read the book that M. Night Shyamalan released with this, and I loved it. I loved all the like lore and fairy tale elements of it, and I was so excited for the movie.
0: I also thought it was one of the coolest things ever when you and I started hanging out, and I saw you had that book. Because
2: I am sickeningly cool. That's right. Um, But none of my friends wanted to see this with me. They were like, it looks dumb. Um, So Ever the Champion, my dad went to it with me. But then wow wah, wah. he brought his wife not a fan then or now um and we all watched it together and me and my dad loved it like my dad was in from the like opening
0: prologue yeah yeah
2: with the little like drawings and the like lore about the world and the two of us were just stunned by it his wife hated it tells you who's cool and who's not <laughs> um and then just no one else loved it and I was like I Am I wrong? I was like gaslighting myself. Like, hmm. what? Like, why did I not think this movie was terrible if critics and audiences think it's terrible?
0: Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. Like, I was, I was a big M Night Shyamalan fan. I also liked The Village. I think I dunked on it in friend groups because I didn't want to be the one outlier. You're trying to be cool, admittedly, yeah, hundred percent. But I was still excited for this, and I went with a couple people that weren't excited for it but like they were free <laughs> so we went to like a matinee and i got emotional in it and it just hit me right in the heart and i thought it was beautiful and we got to the end and as soon as the the written produced directed by and my came up on screen they just like started laughing and started shit talking it
2: they were good during the movie though
0: uh, okay hit or miss and then to add insult to injury th- this is really stuck with me because i thought it was so shitty we, we all worked at the theater at the time and just and we were the only ones in the theater watching it, but they took what was left of their popcorn and just like chucked it down the theater. So it like flew everywhere. So really, instead of having to clean up the small space where we were sitting, whoever was working had to clean up the whole space. And I this is not great, but I, I don't think I helped the employees, but I <laughs> I sympathized with them. I'm just like what an ally I'm just like I'm so sorry this sucks but I, I still feel bad about it and like it's so shitty that that happened and I remember calling them out for it but like what a crap button on what was a great movie that I loved a lot and then yeah people just as more and more people saw it they just continued to dunk on it and it wasn't until I met you was the first you were the first person to have watched it independently from me showing it to you or us watching it together to be like yeah I love Lady in the Water and what a special thing to find another soul that loves this movie as much as I do
2: yeah I'm going to propose very niche very niche if we were a 24 we could market this and sell it the Lady in the Water litmus test
0: Mm, that's good like that. Because
2: when we posted our Letterbox reviews, kind of telling the story, some people came out of the woodwork and said, "I like it too."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Let's talk about what we like about it. Because still, most people hate it. Mm-hmm. I liked then and now that it's like a fairy tale for adults. Yeah, like it gets you know. I was reading like because I still I still like legitimately don't understand why people hate it. Yeah, I get being like that wasn't for me, but that it's like considered a obviously bad movie. I don't understand. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And a lot of people, a lot of critics say that like you don't get to know the characters, but you don't really get to know the characters in a fairy tale either. Like they're stand-ins and they're archetypes to present a story about our world. And I was talking about this, I don't think I'd ever really thought about this much until we watched it this time. But I think there's some racism baked into this because the type of story that's being told while it's made up by M night Shyamalan, it's not based on a real story kind of speaks more to the types of creation stories, the types of fairy tales that come out of Eastern cultures and Mm -hmm. indigenous cultures, as opposed to like European cultures. And I think dunking on that and saying that it's like silly and stupid Maybe check yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to love it, but maybe the way you're talking about it could be a little bit mindful of those things.
0: Yeah, like I think, I think that something that people didn't then and not nece- are necessarily doing now, but definitely should, is you have to let this movie carry you through the story. Yeah, and I feel like because of what happened with the village and just people's perception of M. Night Shyamalan and what was going on with him at the time and what has happened with him since, if you were to watch it now, I just feel like that deters people and it puts their wall up. And it shouldn't. And I think that, like you said, they need to kind of evaluate that about why they have that and what what's happening with that.
2: Yeah, there's been some really good articles written about the way that M. Night Shyamalan is talked about and treated by critics and audiences compared to his, like, white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of quotes I want to read from it. We did mention this um, back when we talked about Knock at the Cabin. because I think we read um, one of our frequent references, Emily Rugburn from Letterboxd. We, we read one of their reviews kind of speaking to this that, like, people seem to... It's cool to hate on M. Night Shyamalan and maybe we want to think about why that is Mm -hmm. but I have a couple quotes here so I guess people were particularly hard on like M. Night Shyamalan being a character in this film like play like acting in it and being like oh like wow cool guy acting in your own movie and so um, a critic named Kai Newman said can it be a kind of racism that the Indian-born Philadelphia-raised auteur is hammered for his apparent character or funny name rather more than, say, Quentin Tarantino.
0: I was going to say exactly that. It's like, we don't really get to know Quentin Tarantino's characters in any of his roles, and he plays a fucking asshole in most of the roles that he's in in his movies, but that's okay.
2: And then there's an article from Vice and an article from British Film Institute that both talk about how, like, it was common to say Shyamalan's name wrong on purpose. And like in a make fun of it racist way. Like I'm not going to say the way that everybody said it back in the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But like they said, there was an agreed upon mockery of his name. Mm. Um, and you know, that even comes back to you. For a long time, I taught the village in my grade 10 English class. And I would tell them, you have to learn how to spell his name and don't tell me that you can't. Mm-hmm. That is racist. <laughs> like if yeah. you can spell Shakespeare, you can spell Shyamalan. It's not that hard. Yeah, Just learn how to do it.
0: And like, to that too, you, you compare M. Knight's work. And I have to applaud him for wanting to try a bunch of stuff. Like, I feel like in a way you could have him in the same conversation as Steven Spielberg. Like He's, yep. he's trying to do the horror movie, the suspense movie, the, the sci-fi movie. And he's, he's dabbling in all of these different genres and, and trying all of them out. And I wouldn't even say like he's trying to be Spielberg, but he's just flexing his creative muscles in different ways. And I remember when the visit came out, they're like, oh, back, Shyamalan's back in like prime form. This is where he belongs. And it's like, I don't agree with that. I think that him being allowed and wanting to explore different types of storytelling and in different types of genres is something that is just incredible. And I appreciate so much more now as an older person watching his work. And like, even in this film, I know people dunk on him for taking the piss out of critics. And I actually think that's really great. Like, I I thought it was
2: funny then. And I think it's funny now.
0: Like who else is doing that? I, I, and I love that because you can, you can take it to be like, Oh, like this is a very pointed attack at critics from M night himself or it can just be this fun plot of part of the movie and it works both both ways for me. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I really don't like how unfair and the boxes people have constructed in their own minds around m Night and his work.
2: Yeah. It seems to allow people to rate his work lower or speak about it more poorly because they had so-called higher expectations for it. And I'm like, when was the last time you even liked an M night movie? And don't get me wrong. Not all of them have worked for me. Like no. I didn't particularly like old. Yeah. I definitely, I haven't seen last airbender. Wasn't the biggest fan of like after earth or something else that came out around then. But I did mm. like the happening. So the Happen- probably shouldn't have a movie podcast,
0: <laughs> but like, the, yeah, the visit's great.
2: I liked Knock at the Cabin. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, revisiting this when you picked it, because this was like a point of connection when we were younger and discovered that we both liked it. Like, holy shit, someone else who liked Lady in the Water? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: That's wild. Um, And because my dad had liked it when we saw it together, I I don't think I felt that, like, hate quite as much because I was like, well, whatever. Me and my dad liked it. Mm -hmm. And my dad has good taste in movies, Mm -hmm. so whatever. Um, but rewatching it, I was a little bit like, okay, am I going to understand why people hate this now? Mm -hmm. And to be honest, still don't, still don't understand it. I think it's got a lovely little message that like we all have a purpose. Yeah. And that purpose is always in community. Like it's always in connection with other people and that sometimes we're wayward and we're lost and we don't know what that purpose is, but We'll figure it out.
0: And like that the the final thing that happens is meant to symbolize the start of something great and something good in the world. And like, what a beautiful thing. I'm getting emotions <laughs> talking about it.
2: There's a moment in this movie that is one of my favorite moments in any movie ever and still gives me chills. And like, I get it. Narfs and scrunts and Tartutic <laughs> and the great Etwan. Are silly.
0: But like also. Fuck,
2: but aren't fuck off. and aren't Ewoks and aren't.
0: Wookiees. Yeah,
2: like aren't those all silly words too? And just because M. Night is putting them in a more grounded, more realistic setting. Now it's okay to make fun of them. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. I like when Bryce Dallas Howard works with M. Night Shyamalan and has like an ASMR voice. Yeah. Yeah, both the village and in this. Um, And the coolest thing I learned about this movie is that, at least at the time, I hope this is still true, that M. Night Shyamalan has a requirement that any set he works on is a 45 minute or less drive from his home. (laughs) And this one was 43 minutes from his home. Oh, man. I'm like, you know what? Good good for him, though, to like
0: set boundaries. Yeah. Like,
2: I want to be able to get home to my kids at the end of the night. I want to spend time with my family.
0: Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this and something that in itself is kind of beautiful about this film is that its reception from the audience is almost a direct link to the message of the story. And it says right off the bat, like, it's all about finding man's ignorance and his refusal to listen and then finding those people who choose to listen. And I like to think of us as the people who choose
2: to listen. (laughs) I think people think that uh, M night is really like pretentious for that, but you know what? I like it. Emily Rugburn in, I think their review for lady in the water called M night Shyamalan, a populist filmmaker. And in that, I think the connection to Steven Spielberg is really clear, right? Films that are made for everyone. Yeah. And I think that, More than horror, which some people seem to think that he's in, and I don't think any of his films, other than The Visit maybe, are really a true horror film. I think what M. Night is typically doing is some degree of magical realism, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a very, it's a story recognizable for the most part. Again, I haven't seen the last Airbender, but most of his films that I've seen, recognizable as our world, but there's something magical in it. Mm -hmm. And... I, for one, will keep seeing his movies, and I like him, and I think anyone who is unfairly judgmental of him is pee-pee-poo-poo. Yeah. If you find yourself docking him an Extra Star because he's him, Mm -hmm. check yourself. Yeah. You don't pass the Lady in the Water litmus test. And
0: unabashedly love Quentin Tarantino's and Chrissy No-No's. About wanna, think about it. I just want to think about it. I just want to rattle off some quick highlights. Um, James Newton Howard's score—that alone gets me emotional in this movie. It fucking rips. It's so good. Paul Giamatti is wonderful, and I appreciated him even more on this rewatch. Uh, after we watched it, I just went and like watched some like highlights on YouTube of just some of my favorite scenes of him in this. It's beautiful. I love that this. community is just such a great diverse batch of characters. Like there's actually a decent amount of diversity
2: and not, I think it's playing with stereotype to ultimately suggest that people are more than what we might initially think of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's just like something about when people band together, especially out of kindness and hope that is just my fucking jam. Like, That's the thing. People are like, I I don't know anything about these characters, blah, blah, blah. But look at the end of E.T. Like there's like two or three of those kids. We only saw one other time in the movie. But I'm just like, I'm all here for all these kids. I love them all and I'm glad they're all banding together. It's like you can't be like pee-pee-poo-poo this. But this is amazing. So
2: stick it. (laughs) I mean, people do. But I, for one, think it's a good movie. Do I think it's the best movie ever made? No. No. Do I really love it? Yes. Yeah,
0: it swells my heart, and I love that you and I can share this together. It's one of the most beautiful things from the start of our relationship that continues to make me so happy. We, we own it on this.
2: DVD, and we'll keep watching it. Maybe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do it make you feel?
2: Lading the water makes me feel a warmth for a teenage favorite that still holds up. That's beautiful. Thank you.
0: Uh, makes me happy to revisit this story, and hear for the people that love it.
2: Okay. I decided to keep the trend of movies people don't like going because there was a new horror movie that came out, which I was hoping I would be able to show you without you having heard of it. And I succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, that just has terrible reviews. <laughs> yeah. People are dunking on this so badly. And I was like, typically, typically. I try to avoid watching movies that I won't like. It's why my letterbox ratings skew pretty high. It's why we're often talking about how much we like the things that we watch on this show, because why would I actively go out of my way to watch something that's either universally considered bad or that I know I personally won't like? Mm-hmm. But there were some things that made me want to watch this movie, even though it had really low ratings. So I picked the 2023 horror film Bad Things. It's a shudder exclusive, so you can only watch it on Shudder right now. It was directed and written by Stuart Thorndike, and despite the name Stuart, she is a woman.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it stars Gail Rankin as Ruthie Nod, Hari Neff as Cal, Annabelle Dexter Jones as Fran, Rat Pereira as Maddie, and Molly, Ring- and Molly Ringwald as Miss Auerbach. Synopsis, a group of friends go to a hotel for a weekend getaway and soon discover that women do bad things there. <laughs> so the reason I decided to pick this movie, even though it had low ratings, is it is a queer horror film made by a woman. And I'm always a little bit more open to a horror film despite having low ratings because people who don't like horror films, watch horror films and then rate it low or people watch horror films that don't like that particular subset of horror and rate it low. I just find there's stuff going on there that makes it like bump it up about a full star. And that's probably more what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we had seen Stuart Thorndike's previous film Lyle and we've covered that on the show, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I'm I'm here to try out a queer horror film if it's gay. And if it's horror, each of those individually, I'm more likely to give it a try. And I'll put it together and I'm going to have to see it. Yeah. So what did you think of bad things?
0: Uh, I mean, on the whole, I thought this was fun. And like you said, I just love seeing more queer horror popping up. And I love being a voice that can call out these movies and share and hopefully entice more people to want to explore and watch more of these movies. I so appreciated that this had a a sense of humor and it's just so well steeped in its references and 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 homaging what came before it in fun and new ways.
2: Yeah. Like that was great being called the gay, the shining. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't try to hide that it's influenced by the shining, just like Lyle does not try to hide that it's influenced by Rosemary's Baby. Mm hmm. Um, I don't think this film is as bad as people are making it out to be. I don't think it's amazing. Like mm-hmm. I was hoping we would watch it and be like, that's so good. Why do people hate it? And this I was could like,
0: be like this year's lady in the water.
2: <laughs> but I was kind of like, oh, I get why people don't like it. Like I get why people would watch this and think it was bad. I don't understand the like half star, one star reviews. I can get two stars. Mm-hmm. I could get it. Um, and for me, what kind of stops it from being as great as I think it could be is it, I think it could go hard, harder on any particular vibe. Like, I think it could be super campy. Mm-hmm. I think it could have gone harder for being scary or it could have gone more vibey like a neon demon or, a, you know, it something, follows or yeah, something. something like that. And it kind of doesn't do any of that. What it actually reminded me of is like an episode of Room, <clears throat> room 104.
0: Mm, good comparison.
2: Where... You know, and we've said this, I can't remember what movie we watched where I said, oh, don't don't worry, darling. Where I'm like, if that was an episode of Black Mirror, I probably would have liked it. Yeah. But as a movie, I was kind of like, mm. And so that context of how it's released, like, I feel like if Bad Things was an episode of an anthology TV show, mm-hmm. like a Twilight Zone or a Room 104 or a Black Mirror, but obviously not any of those because it doesn't, it could fit with Room 104, honestly, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd probably like it a lot. I'd be like, that was a really fun little gay episode of this thing. But as a movie on its own, I felt like it didn't quite have enough style.
0: Yeah, that that's really well put. Also, shout out to Room 104. We hadn't watched all of it, but we've watched quite a bit of it. And it's decent. And
2: I mean, like the, like, not episode. every episode's a banger, but they're all worthwhile. And then some of them are phenomenal.
0: Yeah, also from the Duplass brothers who... We, come on we've watched i think covered.
2: harry neff is in an episode of room 104 that's great I also wrong.
0: i didn't like when as soon as harry neff showed up on screen i was like hi barbie like yeah <laughs> you, well
2: you said is that barbie <laughs> and i love that i love that it was is that barbie not is that a barbie just is that barbie because in the in the movie barbie they're all barbie hi barbie barbie um, but it was really fun to see Hari Neff in something that she's a bigger role in. Mm-hmm. She's the best part of this. 100%. Like, the if the film is going for The Shining, she's Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. And she's so good in that role, like, as she starts to become the more Shelley Duvall character.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'd really love to see Hari Neff in something. The first thing we ever saw her in, actually, to interrupt myself. Mm-hmm. Um, is transparent Mm -hmm. and she plays the like ancestor of the family. Um, And we get these like flashbacks to this like, I think queer Jewish woman. Um, And she was so good in it. And that was a little bit more dramatic. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see her enough in something where she gets to, to play more of a like grounded, dramatic role because mm-hmm. like, or like in a more slow cinema film or something like that. I just think she'd be so, so, so good.
0: I'd like to see her not supporting.
2: Well, I mean, I think she's she's pretty close to not supporting in this. But this is more of an ensemble cast where she has an elevated role. Like I'd say she has equal footing with Ruthie. They're mm-hmm. probably the two main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, very good. She's very, very good. Real bummer that she was in that the Idol show. So was Rachel Sennett was Dan Levy. Like, what the fuck?
0: Levy? Dan Levy. Levy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just... This didn't fully get to a memorably exciting place for me, but I do like where Thorndyke is coming from and her approach, both in Lyle and in this. While they both didn't, like, blow me out of the water, I'm just like, I like what she's adding to the conversation in the horror genre, and... Around the horror genre and she definitely has a lock on humor and references and what what works in the genre what doesn't and I feel I feel excited to see what she does next and I'll definitely watch what I have a really
2: good quote from her that I think would be a good button to this conversation because well both Lyle and bad things didn't like knock me out of the water. I liked both of them enough. I don't think I'd watch either of them again. So that sounds like a bad review, but we watch a lot of movies. So um, we don't watch a lot of things twice. She said this, she said that she wanted for this film, a predominantly female and LGBTQ cast. There's a lot of like diversity. Even within that there's a non-binary actor, Harry Neff is a trans woman. Like I love, and I love that that's not even like a part of their characters. It's just, here's a queer cast played Mm -hmm. by queer people Um, that she wanted a predominantly female LGBTQ cast because quote, she feels like these groups are not properly represented in horror and thriller cinema. And her goal was to quote, show female versions of Travis Bickle. He's from taxi driver. Okay. I had to look that up and Jack Torrance, as well as the feeling of rage itself because women are not allowed to explore rage, even though we are feeling it. And maybe we feel it more because we're told not to. So I I think that she's got a real understanding of what she wants to do. And I just want her to go full vibe or full scare or full camp or whatever thing she wants. And I think it's going to be real cool.
0: I agree. Last thing I'll say is that the just the look and some of the vibes in here, but the mainly the look of our of our main character in this. Just gave me some real knife plus heart vibes, which I highly recommend. And we covered with our buddy Lori from Queer Horror Cult, both on our show, but did a full deep dive on the Queer Horror Horror Cult podcast. So, recommend you check that out too and check out Knife Plus Heart. Yeah, I'm glad you picked this though. Like, I'm, uh, I echo all the things that you said, and I'm really excited to continue our Stuart Thorndike journey.
2: And I think if you're a person who likes queer film and you like horror film, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, Even if it's not the most amazing film ever made. 100%. How did bad things make you feel?
0: You're for queer horror, but wanting a bit more. How make you feel?
2: Happy for the representation, even though the movie itself is middling.
0: Yeah. Same page. Okay. This week was all about revisiting old stuff for me with my mystery movie picks. And I wanted to revisit the 2012 comedy drama romance Frances Ha.
2: The romance part of that is weird.
0: I have some thoughts on that, though. We'll get to that. So it was oh, di- okay. <laughs> it was directed by Noah Baumbach and written by Noah Baumbach and Gigi herself, Greta Gerwig. It stars Greta Gerwig as Frances, Mickey Sumner as Sophie, Adam Driver as Lev, Michael Ziegen as Benji and Grace Gummer as Rachel synopsis. A New York woman apprentices for a dance company and throws herself headlong into her dreams, even as the possibility of realizing them dwindles. This was another movie. We watched a batch of really great movies, not to bury the lead um, just before we started the podcast and this was one of them. So I was really excited to finally cover this on the show. What do you think? of a Francis Haw.
2: Francis Haw is such a strange movie in my life because I feel like from the second I heard about it, I wanted to watch it. And then it took me like 10 years to actually watch it. Yeah. And I don't know why, but when we finally did watch it, and I think you, mystery movie picked it back when you initially watched it. Mm. Um, I loved it. And I am actually glad that I saw it in my thirties instead of in my early twenties. Like I would have been 22 when it came out. Yeah. And I think I would have liked it, but I don't think I would have felt it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's less of a commentary and more of a reflection point now.
2: Yeah. I feel like cha-cha real smooth, which we covered, I believe last week probably would have resonated with me when I was the age of 22, which is what Cooper Reif's character. That's his age in the film. Whereas this one, first of all, Francis is older than we were when this came out.
0: Doesn't feel like it in the show. No, (laughs) but
2: I think when you are that age and you're feeling that way, you might not want to connect with that character then, as opposed to being a little bit older and being able to be like, oh man, that was me. Maybe not at 27, but maybe at some point in your 20s. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. Like I think it'd be hard to, I could see someone being like, I didn't like the movie, but still recognizing that it is an incredibly well-made movie.
0: Yeah. Like, I think the low-hanging fruit for somebody not liking this movie would be the character of Frances herself. But... I, I'm just
2: going to charge every... Like, don't like Lady in the Water? Racist. Don't like bad things? Homophobic. Don't like Francis Ha? Sexist.
0: <laughs> yeah. Bing, bang, boom. But I... For me... I feel like this is just such an accurate representation of messy young adulthood. And while my twenties were certainly less messy than Francis's, I feel like this is a very fair representation of what my brain was like a lot of the time going through my twenties.
2: Like Francis is. A quite hyperbolic perhaps representation. Yeah. But I feel like she embodies what many of us felt when we were kind of post graduation, you know, one of your favorite lines in this movie,
0: I'm so, I'm so embarrassed. I'm not, I'm not an adult or I'm not a person yet.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like who hasn't felt that way that like, am I even a person like, like who even am I? Right. Yeah. And that search for, for where is your life going and stability and that kind of thing. More than that, though, this film is such an accurate representation of female friendship Mm -hmm. and the complicated. Here is where I see you're going to say the romance fits in. Mm -hmm. Is that the romance is between her and Sophie? Yeah. Um, because you're right. It's like it's a traditional kind of breakup movie, but with two female friends.
0: Yeah. Right. Everything from the opening sequence of this film suggests that they are a couple. They even yes. mention as much to they go as far as to say that they are a couple,
2: yeah, yep and they like we often see them in the same bed and like getting ready for bed together and there's these kind of um life moments and things they do throughout their day that mimic what uh, what people in a relationship would be like. yeah, which I think this film does such a great job of showing that relationship is not just romantic. And not just between like people who are living in a couple, mm-hmm. right. Um, I've had my own really complicated journey with female friendships that this film like makes me feel a lot of feelings about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's really good yeah. that there's a film that can represent that because so often, it's not something that's explored in a real way. Like, to me, this is what I thought I wanted from the show Girls. Yeah. That Girls didn't actually give me. Yeah. Which is that Frances can be annoying, let's admit it, mm-hmm. and she can be a mess, but the movie is aware of that. There's yeah. a self-awareness to Frances Ha that is totally missing from Girls.
0: Yeah. It's so funny, like, thinking about Girls because, yeah, I just remember... We watched the first season. We were so excited for it. And then by the time the final season got around it, like all the marketing was around, like you got to grow up sometime or whatever. And I just, I never felt the growth with like the main character of girls with Hannah. I didn't feel her arc as deeply as I did with Francis in Francis Ha. And I so wanted to.
2: And I mean, It's hard not to compare them when they're both New York and they both have Adam Driver in them. I feel like all weird indie lady films, lady shows in the 2010s had Adam Driver in them.
0: I have to say that when Adam Driver is given comedic material, I really, I really love it. I really love.
2: Such a weird dude when he's he's playing a comedic role.
0: Yeah, but I enjoy him so much and it makes me so sad when he's in shit like The Last Duel. <laughs> um, Do you
2: like him Kylo Ren? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Why not?
2: Did you go to the bathroom when he took his shirt off?
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah. I remember I came. You thought
2: you'd be too excited. <laughs> did I
0: come back and you're like, he took
2: his shirt off? <laughs> and we knew he was going to take his shirt off because people had been talking about it. Right. But honestly, I, I'm i such a, a fan of the, the magician's body that I'm less of a Kylo Ren fan and more of a...
0: He's more magician's body here. Yeah, I'm
2: more of a I'm more of a lev or what was his name in Girls?
0: Adam. Adam.
2: <laughs> Seems right. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um. But yeah, like this. So much of the stuff I can relate to about not just the character of Francis, but the multiple characters in this is just that while you're r- wrestling your way through your twenties, just the poor communication, the chaotic priorities you have for yourself, and just life organization of where do I go next? What am I going to do? What's my goal? Even just setting goals that all felt so real to me. Um, yeah, and I so feel relatable. Like
2: this film is both so funny and so cringy. Yeah, and it's cringy because you recognize yourself in parts of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the difference between watching it when you're 22 as opposed to watching when yeah. you're 32.
2: Agreed. I think I would have been like, ugh, she's annoying. Yeah. When it's like, actually I'm annoying. Yeah. That's but I just don't want to admit that. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like yeah. Francis doesn't want to admit it. But This film is also really sad and really like bittersweet and melancholic. And those parts of it feel very real to like the experience of growing up and growing apart and having hard realizations. And
0: it's people in your life that are going to like their next life stage. while. well, You're like, I don't even know if that's in sight for me.
2: And even her like journey with creativity and her like job too, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think of my own journey of being like, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to be a teacher.
0: (laughs) And and also just like the difficulty of the people you surround yourself with. Like in Frances's life, she's with people who their parents just pay for their apartment and pay for their vehicles and all of their shit and they just get to not work and be artistic all day and have no stresses in their life to do that that's not the case for francis so she's having to navigate a lot more so and it, it would be hard to not be to to not have feelings about that
2: um i um i read a review from his name is peter de bruges where he this was kind of Sum up of good name Pete. His good name. This is this is kind of his sum up of the film, and I really liked. how we said this: um this modest, monochromatic lark doesn't present a story or even a traditional sequence of scenes so much as it offers spirited glimpses into the never predictable life of Francis. Mm-hmm. But I like that idea that this is about like glimpses into her life, and I think the film does that so beautifully. And this is such a pinnacle moment. When we watched this, we said it's hard not to just think Greta Gerwig directed it.
0: That's exactly where my head's at. I'm just like, oh, right.
2: It feels like the hinge point between when she went from like acting and writing to just directing. I mean, obviously she's writing her films too, but to switch from acting to directing. Yeah. And then like that hinge point is the writing, right? Where she's she's been a writer both before and after, but now she's going to move into directing and not acting anymore. And this is such a good swan song for her as a lead actor, I think.
0: Yeah, this was definitely like the gateway to Greta film for me. And I feel like Noah Baumbach, you know, I don't want to like completely shit on him. Like I'd watched some of his movies in high school and I've watched we've watched some together since. But the things that Greta Gerwig is a part of that he's also a part of, I've liked a lot more than just. The exclusively no bomb. Yeah,
2: we're stuff. we're bigger Greta fans than we we both bought uh girls on tops shirts. Yeah, let's say Greta Gerwig on them. Oh, fuck
0: yeah, I'm gonna wear. It. We're going to Barbie today, so I'm gonna wear that. Do we want to
2: <laughs> both wear it like a couple of noobs? <laughs> we should. We're going to Barbie with our all all of our nibblings except for the one and a half year old. Yeah. Um, and our four year old niece is just so interested in Barbie. She's just so interested. Her words. that is a quote. Yeah. Um. She's also rewriting my birthday card because she's a better writer now than she was a month ago, her words.
0: <laughs> hey, recognition, <laughs> self-improvement.
2: <laughs> yeah, four-year-olds, man. Um, but I think, yeah, this film is just such a a beautiful testament to Greta Gerwig. She's um, the goat. This feels like, I'm, I'm not the first person to say this, I won't be the last, but it feels like such a pairing with Lady Bird. Like, it feels like those are two different stages of the same person's life. And, I mean, I think both of these have a lot of autobiographical elements in them. In this film, when Francis goes home for the holidays, those are Greta Gerwig's real parents.
0: That's really cute.
2: And then if you think Lady Bird, that's... Mm -hmm. um, Also, we've had a really fun, weird week of actors from friends being in things that we're watching. We've been rewatching Friends for a very long time now because we watch it before bed. So we just watch like one, sometimes only half of an episode. Do you know the actress who plays Sophie? So Mickey Sumner is mm-hmm. her name. Do You know who her parents are?
1: Hmm.
2: Sting and Sting's wife. Oh Christ! So she's the kid that went to school with Ben. Oh, where Phoebe was. Dressed. I'm I'm really digging deep here, but <laughs> uh, it, yes, she is Sting's daughter.
0: And then Grace Gummer is Meryl, Meryl Streep's kid. I also love, I for, totally forgot Grace Gummer was in this. I really like Grace Gummer. If you haven't watched Mr. Robot.
2: Watch Mr. Robot. Watch
0: Mr. Robot. Um, I don't know.
2: This movie is just, it's really, really good. It's really relatable. It's got an incredible ending. And I just love Greta Gerwig.
0: And I, I just like a couple highlights for me. Like the quick cuts and the pacing work so well. And I think that that is a testament to what that person that you quoted said. Peak. It just it's these moments. Yeah. And like it's jumps in time and just capturing these little bits from this specific stage in Francis's life. And I it works so well for me. And then the the black and white and just the overall aesthetic is also just top tier as well as the soundtrack. It's really great. It's on Criterion Collection. I think we should
1: buy it. (laughs) It's very Yeah,
2: it's really I was reading a little bit about how they used only equipment that like an amateur filmmaker would use. Mm to like create that feeling of like being in that stage of not having totally figured yourself out yet. Mm. And even though they had a budget and access to higher quality equipment, they didn't use it. And it actually allowed them to like in two ways, one, it allowed them to get into spaces that it'd be hard to get in with like big expensive equipment. Mm. And two, it like forced their hand to do shots in particular ways because of the limitations of that equipment. Mm. Um, and so I think that's part of the criterion collection-ness of it, right, is the, the artistic filmmaking part of it. Um, it's also really fucking funny.
0: It's super funny. Um, the very first line that's spoken in this movie is hilarious. Yeah, it's so good. I, I haven't uh, deep-dived too much on this movie, but there's a, a sit-down interview between Greta and Sarah Pauly, which I really want to watch because those are two amazing people that I love listening to. So I, I want to look at that. Yeah. So grateful for this. I, I, I love this movie and I, I love that it is what was the gateway to the, the genius that is Greta Gerwig for me. How to make you feel?
2: Francis it makes me feel a painfully cringy connection and a warmth for the characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does it make you feel?
0: Grateful for the gift that is Greta
2: some alliteration oh yeah okay i um looked at my little what's leaving criterion list as we whittle away to the end of august i go back to work tomorrow Ooh. big sigh uh i like my work but i also like to not work
0: it's also sad for me because this summer kylie is coming to an end as well
2: i think she's gone yeah But I picked the 1995 drama Safe, which unfortunately, by the time you listen to this, will no longer be on the Criterion channel. (laughs) It was directed and written by Todd Haynes. It stars really just Julianne Moore as Carol, but I've also put Xander Berkeley as Greg. Everybody else is like kind of barely in it. Yeah. It's really the Julianne Moore show. Synopsis for this is an affluent and unexceptional homemaker in the suburbs develops multiple chemical sensitivity.
0: Unexceptional, brutal.
2: It's a synopsis. What did you think of Safe?
0: I thought this was great and super powerful and poignant. It has stuck with me since we watched it. The Todd Haynes journey that we've been on has been excellent thus far.
2: And kind of an accidental Todd Haynes journey. Yeah. Like we saw Velvet Underground, which we've covered on the show, um, as one of the mystery movies, the like Kino confidential series that Metro Cinema does.
0: Um, we watched Carol pre-podcast pre-podcast I watched I, I didn't know that he did I'm Not There
2: I've seen I'm Not There as well but yeah. I
0: watched a long time ago and I'm really looking forward to May-December yes. another collaboration between him and Julianne Moore which I, would be great.
2: I think I'm finally able to not be confused about who Todd Field is and who Todd Haynes is but I, <laughs> I was confused because when you look at a movie like Tar it actually doesn't feel it feels like it could potentially be made by the same person now that I'm separating them um, and not just being like, oh, white guys with the same first name. I can see that Todd Haynes is doing something very different than what Todd Field is doing. So Todd Field has done Little Children Tar and I think that's it.
0: Oh, okay. And he's he was like in a, Twister.
2: <laughs> he's in Twister? Yeah. Wow. wham bam. Range. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> But... I think that I'm interested in watching some of Todd Aynes' films that I haven't seen now that I'm starting to see kind of the connections across his um cinematic career. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know anything about this movie other than the cover is freaky. Yeah. And it's highly regarded. I would classify this as a not a horror movie, horror movie.
1: Yeah. Like I in agree. the
2: vein of Shiva Baby. Although this one is not funny. No. There's no like Shiva baby's funny as it's anxiety inducing. Mm -hmm. This one is just so unsettling.
0: Yeah. Suburban dread, if you will.
2: Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. The opening shot you said, reminded you very much of like something Lynchian. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, there could be a great double feature with like this film and a Lynch film where this definitely plays more grounded. Mm hmm. But I don't know. It's this was also a film where I was just so impressed with the filmmaking of it. Like so many shots that I was just in love with like the framing, in love with what was happening with the camera, um, in love with how like the score created that sense of dread in a very subtle way. And Julianne Moore is just such a star in this. Yeah. And it's very early in her career.
0: Yeah, and she's so like you said. This is the Julianne Moore show, and she's she's just so captivating. You feel for her, but she can also frustrate you with at or at times. And it's hard
2: to even know what you really want for her. Yeah, and all of that is intentional. We again, sadly, this won't be on Criterion anymore by the time this drops next uh, the Thursday that you're all listening to this. Hopefully, um. But we watched a 45, no, 35 minute, yeah, 35 minute chat between Todd Haynes and Julianne Moore that looked like it was done pretty recently. Mm-hmm. And this was early in both of their careers. I believe it was his second feature film. And she had mostly done TV and had done like one or two movies or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they both still have such a respect for each other, that they both were very invested in this project then and now. And they were very candid about like the way they each approached it very wonderful conversation to listen to and to hear like what they each thought of the character in the film and what it means.
0: What, well, how like it seemed like each of them just complemented the way that each other liked to work. Like yeah. Julianne Moore is very candid about how, for example, she really likes to know, she likes to look at storyboards to know what the frame is going to be like so that she can act according to how it's going to be shot. And not all directors do that more she was kind of saying that a lot of directors she's worked with since kind of shoot from the hip and it's like, we'll see how this looks. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. Why do you want to know? But it seems like in this early collaboration, that's how Todd Haynes likes to work. And that is how Julianne Moore likes to work. And why is why they probably collaborated more than once.
2: And, and she's uh, been in quite a few, like she's in May, December.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and she's been in quite a few of his films. So I always, I always love to see that. Cause I think, wow, like to, to continue to make films with a particular actor to continue to make films with a particular director, you must really respect each other. And there must be a real connection that happens between you that keeps you coming back to working with each other. And
0: yeah. And there's just, it got me thinking about just some actors that I would love for them. I don't know why this is such a weird thought, but I would just love for them to connect and just cross paths and just have that. Like I would really love, for example, if like Florence Pugh found a filmmaker and they just mm-hmm. like connected and were did multiple projects together that were just really successful. And
2: I'm ready for the next Charlotte Wells Paul Mescal film.
0: I can totally see that too, and I can see. I think
2: he wants that, and it will th- just be a question of is Charlotte. I, I'm very, I'm very worried that Charlotte Wells is going to be Harper Lee. <laughs> you
1: know, like yeah. like
2: not to compare after Sun and to kill a mockingbird in content, but to kill a mockingbird is often talked about as like a very semi-autobiographical account of Harper Lee's life and she kind of wrote that and that was it like that's what she had in her that was the story she needed to tell and knowing that After Sun took Charlotte Wells so long to write I think she's at seven years or something like that Mm -hmm. and it is so semi-autobiographical I'm just worried that I have faith I have faith
0: I faith. I, I so feel that Charlotte Wells will be able to do whatever she wants next um, She's
2: taking her time.
0: And I think what would be really beautiful if it's not a Paul Mescal collaboration, if it was a Frankie Corio collaboration. Maybe. <laughs> I think that would be really wonderful. Um, yeah, but getting back to Safe, I got so much more from it after watching that interview. The unanswered questions it leaves you with are just... I felt so gobsmacked at the end of it and the ending and where it chooses to leave the story is just really stuck with me. And I mean, you can search for the metaphors, you can search for the, the symbolism, you can search for the motifs and it's there. All of that's there. But even if you just stay kind of surface level with what is visually being presented to you, it's equally as compelling.
2: Yeah, I, I really agree with that, and I loved the way that Todd Haynes spoke about this in the interview that he did with Julianne Moore. The conversation he had with her, I sometimes get a little over people who want to talk about the like definitive thing that a director is trying to say, mm. because like in terms of a like political commentary, obviously as an English teacher, I have to talk with my students about like, what is the effect of this camera movement? What is the effect of this score choice? But I'm talking about being like, oh, this is definitively an allegory for AIDS. Mm. I'm like, I can see that in it. And Todd Haynes says like coming out of the context he was coming out of as a part of the uh, new queer cinema movement. Um, as someone who is a game like is a gay man and at the time is a gay man living in the context of the 1990s, mm-hmm. of course the film is going to be influenced by AIDS. But I don't think that's definitively what the film is about. Yeah. I don't think it's definitively about multiple chemical sensitivity. I think there's so many different ways to read it. And I've had some people, uh, I've read some things and I had someone mention on my letterboxd too, like it's very relevant to COVID. Yeah. Um, And certainly that's not what Todd Haynes was writing about in the 1990s. So I like to approach film from like, well, what does it mean in this context for me now? Yeah, Not what definitively, what was the director trying to say?
0: And I, and I, I so appreciate that. And I feel like you, I appreciate you because I think that that is what you've urged me to be more like as a film watcher and somebody that, takes in takes in content because I feel like the younger version of me, I was surrounded by people that needed the meaning, needed it to be like, this is what this represented, this is but what this means. But we have
2: meaning. We make meaning. And my favorite artists, musicians, writers, directors, they say that. Like, you know, the David Lynch's of the world. And well, there's somebody we watched last week and it's escaping my mind right now who they say like, yeah, I have my own idea of what this means, but... Oh, that was um, Tarkovsky. Yeah. But as soon as I put this out into the world, it becomes something that the viewer makes meaning of. Yeah. And so it's this beautiful collaboration between creator, sometimes creators, obviously like actor, director, cinematographer, and the person who engages with it where new meaning is made every time Mm -hmm. from the meaning made by all of those people involved and the meaning you bring to the particular context that you watch it in And I'm interested in kind of what it meant to the people who created it, but I'm also interested in what it means to me experiencing it.
0: Yeah. Even more so now as I've gotten older, I love revisiting or watching new content and applying my meaning to it and having the filmmaker allow me to do that.
2: Exactly right. It's It's not like you're just being like, ah, this is what the movie means. Like, this is what the movie means to me. But based on all of the craft that has gone into this, this is what I am allowed to experience Mm. and the meaning that it creates in me through that craft. Yeah. And I think something that I really appreciated about Safe is it is one of those movies and Todd Haynes. I felt this way before we watched the conversation between the two of them. But then he said, even at the time, a lot of critics watched it and didn't like it then watched it a second time and really liked it. And that this is one of those films that benefits from a second viewing. And I have a feeling I'll like it even more a second or third time and that I'll get more out of it and that it will continue to shape shift for me in really like intentional ways.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I'll just echo something that I've brought up and we've brought up in context of Tarkovsky, but it's, it applies to any sort of medium that you uh, take in. You have to allow things to open themselves up to you. And sometimes you're ready for that. Sometimes you're not. And that could be the case with Lady in the Water for some of you listeners. I <laughs> but I hope so. Yeah. But I think that that's definitely the case. And things can, even if they open themselves up to you on first watch, they can do even more so. Yeah, they can open in new ways. Exactly.
2: In multiple um, doors. No. Multiple windows. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Pry that board off. Yeah. <laughs> See it in a new angle.
0: Um, yeah, I really like this. I like it even more after this conversation and, uh, I'm excited to watch it for a second time and just take in even more of what it's, what it's putting out there.
2: I also have a quick, quick, uh, mention. So there's a actor in this who plays a very niche role in a singular episode of friends (laughs) as somebody that Phoebe goes on a date with whose job is to write erotic literature for for children.
0: Good bit. And then
2: (laughs) she, she ends up leaving the date. But there was another Friends actor in this. So the psychiatrist that Julianne Moore sees once, I think.
1: Yeah. Do
0: oh. you know who he is? Mr. Beaumont?
2: He is Mr. <laughs> Beaumont. <laughs> yeah. The Mr. Beaumont.
1: <laughs> right. Uh,
2: so some, some niche Friends actors in this, which makes sense, 1990s. Mm-hmm. People who have like kind of small talking roles, mm-hmm. but, but not more than that. Um, all right. Anyway, I, I think this is a haunting thoughtful pretty awesome film yeah how did it make you feel
0: Uh, a compelling spiral of thoughts and emotions how make you feel
2: a thrumming level of anxious dread
0: good use of the word thrumming
2: thanks gotta get my english brain back in action to be a teacher
0: (laughs) okay final film of the week My mystery movie pick, and I wanted to revisit the 2010 action comedy fantasy film Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It was directed by Edgar Wright and written by uh, Michael Bacall, Edgar Wright, and based off the comic series by Brian Lee O'Malley. It stars Michael Cera as Scott Pilgrim. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers. Kieran Culkin as Wallace Wells. Anna Kendrick as Stacy Pilgrim. Alison Pill as Kim Pine. Aubrey Plaza as Julie, Julie Powers. Jason Schwartzman as Gideon Graves. And I could go on and on and on. But I'll also mention Alan Wan as Knives Chow, who is also incredible. I'll get to that. Synopsis. In a magical, realistic version of Toronto. A young man must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes one by one in order to win her heart. I picked this because they just dropped a trailer not that long ago for an animated version of Scott Pilgrim of the Scott Pilgrim series uh, on Netflix. And I still can't believe that this movie has as great of a cast as it has now. And I can't believe they're bringing the majority of that main cast back to play the same characters on this show. Yeah, I think so. I just, yeah, it's pretty incredible. What do you think of Scott Pilgrim versus the world?
2: Scott Pilgrim versus the world is such an interesting thing for me because I don't love it, but I do love it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same place.
2: Like, I don't think it's the best movie ever made. And I think it has some issues both just as a product of its time and also like watching it now, like character wise and with what it's saying. And yet I love it.
0: It does so many things right that it's hard to not love it. Just so for a bit of backstory, both of us love the series of comic books that this is based on. And I blasted through all of them in preparation for this movie
2: I think the last one wasn't out yet.
0: Yeah. And that was a big deal because we would have seen the ending.
2: The Game of Thrones type. Yeah. Thing.
0: We would have seen. Although the Brian ending. Lee
2: O'Malley did finish Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. <laughs> I guess also like in some respects. Never mind. I don't want to mention her. Okay. No yeah. turfs allowed. <laughs> yeah.
0: And since this has come out just I think over the pandemic we played the the video game of this together which is super fun. But do you remember the first time we saw this? Because I do.
2: I think you remember it better than me, but as we were watching it, I was like, oh, I remember. I, ve- I have very distinct memory of us being so giddy as the like opening sequence with the camera panning backwards, like zooming out. Mm-hmm. And then also with like what it does at the very end,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, which obviously I'm not going to spoil, but like with a really... Clever homage to playing games and just being like bursting with joyful feelings. Yes, but I don't remember the specifics. I just remember the feeling of excitement.
0: So the first time we saw this was a sneak peek. We we won- go to West Ed. No, we won tickets to it from Sonic, the radio station here. Oh in
2: Yeah, we used to do those kinds of things. And I think we did that with Five Hundred Days of Summer too.
0: I think you're right. And we saw it at Landmark downtown.
2: Whoa. Oh, memories starting to come back.
0: And your giddy is a great word. We were both very excited for this. And this was such a huge, this is such a huge thing that like, I think it's because it's so vivid for me in my memory palace as just one of the coolest things ever, (laughs) just because (laughs) this was such a phenomenon and everyone was so excited. I remember the theater just being electric with excitement of people that want, and especially when you're going to a sneak peek, it's people that give a shit and are excited about it and want to be there for it. Yeah, and it it was so it was so fun, and I remember loving it. And to something you alluded to earlier, my relationship with Scott Pilgrim has evolved and changed over the years as we revisited it, and as times have changed, my opinion of it has shifted from unabashedly loving it to becoming more critical of it, but also appreciating it in new ways.
2: I completely agree. I also think there's this weird element of, and I don't know if this happens to you, but it definitely happens to me, of when it's Canadian content, it feeling like it belongs to like the people who see it together in a way that, like, like I feel like I thought it only mattered in Canada, but this was a big deal everywhere. Yeah. Like, I mean, Edgar Wright is not Canadian, but... This film feels so Canadian. Yeah, the right?
0: CanCon is strong in like this. The,
2: one. a lot of the actors are Canadian, while Michael Sarah is. I don't know if anybody else is, but Michael Sarah is enough. <laughs> um, it you know it's it's so clearly set in Toronto, and
0: there's Canadian money on. They're screen. in a
2: second cup. Yeah, like come on. Like I I guess most people who aren't from Canada watching it would just think it was a made up thing for the movie, but no second. I mean, second cup is dying. I don't know if there are any anymore. Yeah. There's an the institution. It it was a big deal. It was the Canadian alternative to Starbucks. And mm-hmm. the guy wrote a book about like, I think being homeless at one point. I don't know. Don't <laughs> listen to me, but. So he had a
0: second cup on life.
2: <laughs> yeah. So honestly, he probably said we sold it at Indigo. Big Indigo week for this episode. <laughs> um, Support your local bookstores. <laughs> don't buy from Indigo. Buy from a local bookstore. Um, but I just remember like, this was it. If you were a Canadian millennial when it came out, like this was cool. And I think what also makes it, what made it such a big deal is that the comics are Canadian
1: mm-hmm.
2: strictly, but even though this movie, you know, when I says in my mind, all the actors are Canadian and they're, they're really not, but the music is really Canadian. And again, I feel the sense of like, do other people know about metric? Do other people know about broken social scene? Mm -hmm. Do other people know death from above 1979, which plays (laughs) in it. Do other people love Anthem of a 17 year old girl? Cause like I have cried many a times to that song in my headphones. Yeah. Did you used to be one of the rotten ones? And I loved you for that. (laughs) Like, come on. Like that just like, so the Canadiana is strong in a way that feels like maybe if you weren't Canadian, you wouldn't, catch it Mm -hmm. and that is really special because i feel like we don't get that very often
0: yeah yeah especially in such a big film
2: yeah like a big deal movie where it's like they put that in for us
0: yeah where there's no hiding that this is in toronto and this is the money we use and these are the venues that exist and these are the stores we go to
2: and this is the music that we love yeah like come on i i mean metric is the band i think i've seen the most in my life yeah. I think Tegan and so Sarah might be, like, overcoming that because I'm not seeing metric anymore. Mm-hmm. But I so- swear I used to go to a metric show, like, once a month. <laughs> I'm yeah. being hyperbolic, but, like, multiple times a year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them a lot in big and small venues.
2: I've seen a lot of metric at the Starlight Room. Yeah. In the shot Conference Center. Yeah. But it was just, yeah, this just felt... So cool. And then if you also liked Edgar Wright, which I did, right. I liked Shaun of the Dead, like hot fuzz. It felt like all of these things that I loved coming together. And we had the comics and we'd read the comics, obviously not all of them because we couldn't, but it was, it was a big deal.
0: I don't think there was a better choice for this movie than Edgar Wright. Oh yeah. And like the fact that he's involved in the Netflix show, even just like a producer capacity, like, Pretty cool. That's well correct.
2: (laughs) And Brian Lee O'Malley, I guess, was like very involved in making this, but I was reading about how he like when the first comic came out, he got asked to option it for a movie and he was like, Well, I think they're just gonna make some shit version of this with some actor that like I don't even like or know who like doesn't fit the role of Scott Pilgrim at all, but I'm poor and I need money, so yes. Mm -hmm. And then he was so excited to have it become what it became and to have like a voice in it and He was really involved in the casting. And I just think I think everything's spot on.
0: Yeah, I think. And I think it's it's a
2: perfect version of it.
0: Yeah. I love that there's going to be so many routes into this story, be it through the comics, this movie, this Netflix show, or even the video game. The
2: video game is friggin sweet.
0: Yeah. If you love like scroll screen beat em ups. Ala the Simpsons arcade game or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games, it's the same kind of thing. But the music rips. Uh, Anna Monoguji I think did the music for the video game. It's very very good.
2: Like there's just Scott Pilgrim as an entity. Like you're saying, it's going to be this cartoon. It's the comic. It's the film. It's the video game. As an institution, it's this like love of Canada, love of music, love of video games love of comics like all of those things are intertwining but in a cool way yes like it feels cool
0: yeah a hundred percent
2: and it's Canadian so come on
0: yeah um, just to kind of echo something you've already touched on like my favorite aspect of this film still remains to be the music like I, I first of all like I love that they got Canadian artists with the exception of Beck I don't think Beck's Canadian at all but they got Real bands to write the music for the bands that exist within this world.
2: But then it's the actors singing the songs.
0: Yeah. So like I like I listen to the Sex Bobomb songs actually pretty regularly. Really? Yeah. Like cool, quite a bit.
2: Threshold. Oh, yeah.
0: They're, they're so they're so good. And like having Beck do that, then having Broken Social Scene do Crash in the Boys, Metric doing Clash of Demon Head. It's so smart and it's so good. And then they had, like, as their music consultant was the lead singer of, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the lead singer from Sloan. So, like, another Canadian band. Nice. And, like, there was so much thought and care put into, the, like, no, we need to focus on the music and it needs to be good and well and well done.
2: This movie's just, it's so stylish.
0: It's so fun. And it nails the style. That yeah, it's like, it's
2: for. just, like, with the KO and like <laughs> yeah. the coins and like it's just so like it's so tricky because this film on its own merit is a 10 out of 10 but this film like in the pantheon of films I like is not a 10 out of 10 yeah if that makes sense but every, like this is a perfect Scott Pilgrim film
0: yeah and it makes me so happy yes but yeah like
2: but Scott kind of sucks
0: and like yeah let's let's start getting into this so First of all, starting on a positive, I don't think I've ever said this, but I want to acknowledge my fandom for Michael Sarah.
2: I love him. I was reading a couple of reviews from people on Letterboxd who don't love him, and I'm like, clearly, you're not Canadian.
0: Well, I think I mean the first thing I saw him in, I'm pretty sure was super bad. And then that mm-hmm. I really liked him in that.
2: I'm cooler than you. It was arrested development. Of course for me. it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that but that's what led me to arrested development. And then during his kind of heyday in like the aughts to early 2010s. We love Paper Heart. We love Paper Heart. Like I watched The Youth in Revolt. Um I loved Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. There's also I want to shout this out cuz like not a lot of people have seen this, but I love it and I watched a couple episodes when I was writing my notes today. He did an online series with Clark Duke called Clark oh, called Clark and Michael.
2: Yeah, it's really funny and isn't it kind of sweet?
0: It's very funny. It's about the two of them writing a script for a like a TV show they want to do together. It's all fictional. It's like fictional versions of themselves and just the stupid shit that happens with them. It's called Clark and Michael. It's all on YouTube. Is it
2: sweet or am I making that up? Do I just think they're sweet?
0: It, no, it is. It is sweet, okay. but it's also like super funny and stupid and super fun. Check out Clark and Michael. But I, th- and then Barbie Him being in Barbie just reminded me that I really like Michael Sarah, and there's been kind of a few interviews popping up with him to coincide with the release of Barbie and he has another film coming out as well. But he just seems like a really good dude. And like he was on Hot Ones and he was talking about his like writing process when he's been in the writer's room and he just, he seems like a good person.
2: Elliot Page had great things to say about him. Yeah. In his memoir, which is... Always nice to hear. Yeah, Juno. Yeah. We love Juno. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I am. A, I feel like we had a period where we were like, if Michael Sarah's in something, we're going to see it. Mm-hmm. And we both felt that way.
0: Um, I don't think I ever said I love Michael Sarah. And I, I actually think I quite love Michael Sarah.
2: <laughs> I mean, he's Alan. Yeah. How can you not love Alan? I feel like there's a whole, like, Alan is a standout for a lot of like Gen Z's. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a whole, group of younger people about to embark on the journey of watching Michael Sarah things. Yeah. Now how they'll feel about it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. But yeah, um, on the more recent viewings and even on this one, Scott is such a flaky doink who drops his other responsibilities and people in his life for his girlfriends. And for me, that is a tough pill to swallow because that is all too relatable. For who I was when I was younger.
2: Honestly, didn't even think about that. But that's so legit. I had to call you out on your flaky flakiness so many times.
0: Yeah, it was really bad. I don't want to get into specifics. (laughs) But that was such a thing for me. Like, I totally had conflicts in in friendships and in creative projects I was a part of. Because I'd be like, I just want to go hang out with my girlfriend. um, Because... I love her so much. She's everything like my whole world has shifted to be just about my girlfriend now.
2: I I was thinking about that last night and then I forgot about it that as a young Canadian hipster boy, (laughs) when this came out, who was somebody who had been in bands pretty much your whole, like from the time you're 14 on, that there'd be a level of relatability to this. Yeah. Like with that, like DIY garage band not garage band the app garage band is in like a band in a garage because you were from you know from the time you were 14 until the time you were like 28 29 30 maybe like playing in bands where you were like in someone's basement
1: yeah
0: and i get so much joy out of that but especially when i was younger and just like so selfish and
2: should we rad wreck your music video
0: Maybe, yes. Maybe we won't rad wreck it, but we can put a link to it. <laughs> um, yeah, my high school band made a music video. Um, we'll put a link to
2: it. Which we recently showed to some friends, and and one of them said, how does Elliot look exactly the same? I don't think Elliot looks exactly the same, but I could see how if you didn't know him then, he would look exactly the same.
0: <laughs> yes. Um. So, yeah, definitely a tough pill to swallow. Just how relatable that was to who I was. I would say that this perpetuates the whole manic pixie dream girl pursued by quote unquote nice guy trope. And that just really, that really. I don't vibe with that anymore. No, it's just, it just perpetuates this very unhealthy and in a lot of cases dangerous depiction of dating and relationships.
2: Cause I think when I watch things like, cause, I was fully enamored by that archetype when I was younger. Because
0: the girl's usually like fucking cool and kind of
1: badass and and edgy, yeah.
2: And I'm like, oh, I'm her. Um, But when I watch things like that now, I'm like, what, that guy sucks though. Like, why would Ramona want to date Scott?
0: Well, and I think what's so bad about it is when I was thinking about it cuz I feel like because Scott is cool and he's our But prota- he's not. and he's our protagonist that when he is being a dick and then Ramona reacts to him being a dick and she's like you know kind of coming for him and giving him the business that I feel especially as a young person you you just see like Ramona as a bitch and Scott
2: I do I do think this movie does a little bit more to challenge that than some others of like this type at the time because all of Scott's friends are continually talking about how terrible he is. Yeah. Right. Like his sister is like, What'd you do now, Scott? And Wallace. Wallace is amazing in like Kieran Culkin does such a good job with this. And there's some like, there's some really off jokes in this that are of the time both racially and sexuality wise. But for the most part, I think like there's some great queer content that's like just there.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
2: it's not a big deal. It's just there. But like Wallace is continually saying like, you need to break up with knives. Knives is sweet. You're too they, Saying to knives, you were too good for him. Um, the guys in the band are being like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? And you know, like Kim, continually saying that he's not great so i do think that like people are saying that but i think by the end of the film there hasn't been enough work done about how terrible he is if that makes sense
0: yeah i i agree and like just a little too easy just to push on that a little bit more too is like the fact that like there's a sequence where like wallace is calling him out and then he actually gets scott's sister involved so like he has this community of people around him that cares about him, but also cares to call him on his shit and to try to make him be more thoughtful about his actions and the things that he's doing.
2: Yeah. And the film, the film cares about that to a certain extent, but in an easy way.
1: Yeah. But so I, I
2: think it's better than say garden state, which we haven't revisited, but it's still part of that. 500 pixie yeah. dream girl, nice Ted Mosby. Ted like Mosby. I'm a nice guy. So hot girls should want to date me. Like, I mean, that's literally a line multiple times in this movie. You're the nicest guy I've dated. Yeah. And it's like, so that's his good quality. Cause like, honestly, Scott's not that nice, which I do think the film also acknowledges. Yeah. Like there's a line that I think specifically acknowledges that like, even if he's the nicest guy you've ever dated, that doesn't mean he's nice. It just means he's nicer. Yeah. Than the other people you've dated. But Scott kind of sucks.
0: Oh yeah. And
2: I mean, Ramona doesn't seem great either.
0: No. And that's why the ending doesn't fully land for me because it, it, I feel like there's a better place where the characters can go because it seems like there's like some self-realization and there's some reflection that still needs to happen. And I don't need like a nice button on it. And maybe that's just me speaking now of like, there's, it can have more of a Francis Ha ending, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, so it doesn't fully, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, didn't fully work for me then and doesn't now in a different way. But like I alluded to earlier, Knives is the MVP of this.
2: Yeah. And she shouldn't have to be.
0: No. While there's like this, like, there's like this weird sort of angle about Scott dating her. I think that what they have as like a relationship is really nice. And like, there's a lot of There's a lot of bonding there when it's when you take some of the toxicity out of it. I just I think she's I think she's badass and her journey of self-discovery and growth throughout the film isn't really spoken about a lot, but I think it's there and I really like her in in this film.
2: Agreed. I think knives is real cool. I also I think it'd be remiss to not mention that this is one of those films that's in the like most quoted in our household. Yeah. We're like, we'll just say you cocky cock. Yeah. You know, or I feel like we say you, you were a vegan. Now you will be gone quite <laughs> a lot. Uh, so it's very quotable. It still makes me laugh a lot. I really, really love it, but I also don't love it.
0: Yep. Um,
2: and both things can be true.
0: 100%. How does Scott Pilgrim make you feel?
2: It makes me feel a warmness at all the Canadiana and an awe at the spectacle.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How does it make you feel?
0: A both critical and newfound appreciation, a newfound appreciation for it on every viewing.
2: All right, let's talk about dads.
0: Dads of the week, baby. My bad dad nominee is Sophie from Francis Ha.
2: Well, Sophie does suck.
0: She don't have a lot uh, on the side of this argument, but. I don't think that she's a great friend.
2: No. And she doesn't ki- like one of the, my biggest frustrations when I watch Frances Haw is like, nobody is communicating. Like Frances is lying to Sophie. Sophie is like ghosting light.
0: Yeah. The communication kills me, especially Sophie's in this film. And it's all out of this place of selfishness. That's just kind of the, the friend that Sophie evolves into is this very selfish person. And I don't want her as my dad. What about you? I picked Scott Pilgrim. That's he was my runner up.
2: Yeah. um, I'm going to be really mean here, but he's an overly annoying man child who, despite literally having people tell him to do the right thing, continually fails to do the right thing and thinks that he is like the greatest gift to the world. Yeah. Yeah. My argument.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's real nasty.
2: I'm always going to pick the Ted Mosby yeah yep
0: okay Scott Pilgrim don't Don't be be your dad dad. who's your rad dad
2: picked Anna from Lady in the Water Sarita Chowdhury's character
0: that's a good pick yeah
2: she's so kind and loving but like has a personality too like Mm -hmm. she's she's funny in it um
0: there's a scene um it's a shower scene but she's she's a big part of it and uh that's one of my favorite scenes Oh in the yeah, movie.
2: it's so, like, she's such a great communicator where she, like, gives other people the ability to voice, have voice, but also still has her own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just so loving. I just, I really like the character.
0: Yeah, that's a really good pick. Uh, I pick Cleveland from Lady in the Water.
2: Right. Um, yes, this makes
0: sense. <laughs> I mean kindness that's kind of the the whole point from which cleveland resonates from is around kindness and he has this sort of quiet wisdom about him that he doesn't force on anyone but he offers up willingly where it's needed and he has a curiosity that i think pushes him in the right direction with his life and also just like his willingness to help and to be a helpful presence to the people around him. I mean, he's a superintendent of a large living facility with many people and many tasks and things that he needs to do. And that's what he's decided to do with his life based on the trajectory of it. And he's, he's, he's made the decision to help and to be somebody that can help people. I think that's wonderful.
2: Yeah, we t- Well, I mean, I mentioned when we were watching it that um "Leaning in the Water" would make a really great double feature with the Florida Project. Yeah, because in both of them, you have this tired and sometimes frustrated, like apartment motel manager who nonetheless really cares about their people and like knows them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like knows their personalities, knows their needs, and like looks out for them, even if sometimes. They get a little annoyed. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I see it. Cleveland? Sure.
0: All right. Cleveland? Cleveland, be Be your dad. dad. All right, Rad Wreck of the Week. I want to recommend the Konbini Video Club videos on YouTube. Uh, Konbini, so K-O-N-B-I-N-I. It's actually based out of France, so it's it's this video series that it does have English guests on it, but, uh, it is primarily, it primarily uses French for all of the subtitles and all of the, uh, the titling of the videos and stuff. But what's cool about the video club series that they do is that they take filmmakers and actors and bring them into one of the only video stores, video rental stores that is left in France And they just talk about their favorite films and go through the store and talk about their favorite filmmakers and actors and their experiences with these different films that have affected their lives and their careers. And they have some really great people in there. Um, Just because of what we've talked about this episode, I most recently watched one of these with M. Night Shyamalan and it was wonderful just hearing where all of his points of reference come from and all of the films that he loves and, uh, part like projects he was going to be part of. Like I found out from it that he was very close to be one of the directors of one of the latter Harry Potter movies. And that I would think, have been wild. I think that would have been really, really great. I think he would have brought something really special to that. So it's really cool to get these insights. Um, uh, and yeah, they've they've had great. They have already Aster her uh, recently. They had Chrissy NoNo with killian murphy um uh hugh jackman was there as well um with the director of i can't remember the director's name but he directed the son with hugh jackman but he also directed the father which we covered on the show highly recommend checking it out it's really fun especially if you're a cinephile adjacent person like us (laughs) so yeah conbini video club we'll put a link in the description you can check it out. But thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. Like I mentioned off the top, go back and listen to our daddy deep dive on face off. Super fun episode. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram and threads at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could please share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Well, that's going to do it for these ladies near the water this week. So until next time.
2: I'm Kylie and my dad's dead.
0: I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat.
2: But remember,
0: not all dads have to be bad.